I love those videos. It's called the pulse. And the reason that they're called the pulse is because they're actually touching the pulse of society. What is society saying about these topics that we've been talking about? You know, so today we're diving into this topic. Is Christianity too narrow? Is Christianity too narrow? All right. So let's uh, take a moment and let's pray. If you could bow your heads with me real quick. Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity, Lord, that you give us to gather together and and dive in into your word, Father God. And I pray in Jesus' name that today you speak into each of our hearts, Lord God, and that these things that we're sharing is not only beneficial to us, but also, Father God, giving us tools to reach those that are around us as well. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak this morning, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And as people say, amen, amen, and amen. What a good question. What a good question. Is Christianity too narrow? I have, I have a couple of questions that I wrote here. You know, I, I, I went into, into some, you know, Google search as I was preparing this message and, and I started Googling some of this stuff. All right. And these are some of the questions that pop in there when, when you put this uh, topic. It says, are the claims of Christianity and of Jesus too narrow in our day and age where we don't want to be intolerant? or exclusive? Is Christianity outdated and no longer useful for us in this 21st century? It was written by some peasant fishermen and its founder, a carpenter that wasn't even in his mid-30s. Look at that one. Isn't Christianity a step backwards and not forward in the way the world is moving in our progressive culture? How can we say that Christianity is the only way to God? Isn't that too arrogant? These are the questions that the people that are around us have, you know, when it comes to the whole thing, you know, about our faith. And like you saw it there in that survey that they did, you know, most of the people, you know, they think that there's only one God and many ways to God. How many of you guys have heard that before? Oh, there's only one God, you know, but there's many ways for you to get to that God. You know, all religions are good because they lead to God and, and to peace. That's what, what a lot of people say. But it doesn't matter what path you choose. At the end, they're going to lead to God and you're going to have peace and, and it's going to be good. All religions are the same. And the reality is that many confuse Christianity with what the Bible, Christianity and religion with what the Bible really says. And if you've ever gotten into a discussion with somebody about religion, Oh, things could get real tense real quick. I don't know if that's happened to you. You get into politics or you get into religion and, and the atmosphere could just change immediately. All right. And when it comes to this, I remember when I was young in my faith and I was working at the airport and, and, and people would come by all the time. And I would just, you know, a lot of times be reading my Bible and, and they would ask me, Oh, what are you studying? I'm like, Oh, I'm studying the Bible, you know, and I would get into all these discussions with people, right? I would have, you know, Mormons come by. I would have Muslims come by. I would have Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody ever gotten into a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness? Raise your hand. Come on out. Who are the Jehovah's Witnesses? Those people that you let your dog outside when they're walking around? Yeah, those guys. <laughs> Like, pastor, come on. It's like, you close the shades in the house, like, nobody here, you know. It's like, they just want to talk and talk and talk. You know, when they knock on my door, like, oh, we have a couple of things here. Can we talk to you about God? Oh, I'm a pastor. Like, oh, okay, thank you. And they just leave, and they leave real quick. 
Like, no, come on in, man. I want to sit down. I want to talk to you a little bit, you know, to spark up some conversation. But I remember when I was young, man, when the person wouldn't agree with me, I would get upset. Did that happen to any of you? Like, man, how come they don't see my point of view? They're wrong and I'm right and they don't see it. Have you gotten into that type of discussion? And then I remember one time the Holy Spirit is like, so if you're right, why are you getting upset? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right, let me just chill out. You know, let me just relax, you know, and, and not get all uptight uh, about this, you know. Not get too defensive, you know. The reality, okay, is that religion does not unite us. But in reality, what it does is that it divides and it separates. Religion doesn't unite. It divides. It, it separates. Actually, the word religion, and I've stood up here and I've spoken about this before. The word religion comes from the root word search. So religion actually is not an answer. Religion is actually a search. You are looking for something. And the fact that you're looking for something means, listen to this, previous possession. Pay attention. That you had something and you lost it. The other day my wife was looking for these glasses. Right? And she's laughing. Because she was looking for those glasses everywhere. And she looked in the car and the glove compartment. She checked the other car and the glove compartment and our room. And she went through the drawers and she went through everything looking for the glasses. Why was she looking for the glasses? Because she had them. And she lost them. If my wife would have never had a glasses before, and she comes and she tells me, I'm looking for glasses, how do you think I would look at her? A little crazy, right? So that humanity is searching means, okay, that there's something that has been lost. And we're going to get into that here in a second. What is it that, that we lost? What, what, what is lost? Religion tries to control with codes and rituals and conducts. And, and, and when, when Jesus comes in the scene, I want to tell you something. Actually, he looked a little bit irreligious. Because the religious people were getting upset at him that uh, he wasn't following things the way that they needed to be followed. You see, Jesus, for example, was, was doing things on the Sabbath that he was not supposed to be doing on the Sabbath. He was healing people on the Sabbath. And Jesus, religion says that you can't do that. And Jesus says, let, let me ask you guys a question. Uh, is the Sabbath made for men or the men for the Sabbath? Which one of them? And he would get them a little bit frustrated and flustered about, because he got them thinking. And he followed the law of Moses. He followed the codes of the, of the Jewish religion. Uh, religion. But, but one of the things uh, in, in the midst of this is that we could all, guys, play the part. We could all come here on Sunday morning and say, oh, I'm a Christian and I sing my songs and I raise my hands and, and Lord, I give my tithe and I do this and I do that. But sometimes, guys, all that we're left with are these rituals and these things that we do, but our heart a lot of times is not in it. And that's why Jesus speaks to that church in Ephesus and tells that church, hey, I have no complaints against you. I mean, you guys have done all these things. The only thing I have to tell you is that you've lost your first love. 
Go back to the things that you did at the beginning. Because you can do all these things and that's great. But if your heart's not in it, it's not taking you anywhere. And that's what religion will do. And let me tell you something. Every religion has its own little thing, okay, and kind of funny. Every religion has its own thing that is kind of weird. Like I remember growing up in the, in, you know, in a Catholic home, you know, and looking at Santa Barbara and San Lazaro and all these things. I'm like, who in the world are all these guys, you know? I, I don't want to offend anybody. But I knew that, hey, those things are made of stone, you know. You don't pray to something made of stone. And they would put an apple and a banana. I'm like, man, I, I need to take my, my lunch break, man. That guy has more food than I do, man. And San Lazaro have more money for the bus than I did. And he didn't need to catch a bus, but I did, you know. It's like, man, I'm looking for 70. Back then, the bus is 70 cents, bro. 60 cents and, and 10 cents for the transfer, 70 cents. Oh, we look, I'm like, I have 50. And I look at San Lazaro and his cenicero is full of coins, man. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, man. You guys are laughing. You're like, oh, I know that too, man. That dude got money. <laughs> We're all weird, man. And then you go into the Christian religion and you come here and you raise your hand and you're praying. And I remember walking into a church and seeing a bunch of people raising their hands. I'm like, what's wrong with those people? They didn't put deodorant on or something? Man, why do they have their hands up in the air? That's what I thought. Or it's the AC broken and they're trying to feel like by where's the air conditioner coming out? We all have our weird stuff. Or you go into a church and people are speaking in tongues. That happened to me one day. Everybody was speaking in tongues and I walked in there. I'm like, what in the world? I'm like, man, I'll wait for you guys in the parking lot. We all have our stuff, you know, but, but the question is, okay, the question is, okay, is all those things really leading to God? And if that's re the real reason why Jesus came here. It's not the real reason that Jesus came here to earth because I'm here to tell you something that when Jesus came to here to earth, there was already a bunch of religions going on. Jesus did not come here to earth. Pay attention to this, guys. Jesus did not come here to earth to start another religious movement. He did not come to earth to start another religious movement. He had a very specific purpose. Very specific purpose. I'm going to tell you a couple of things that might ruffle your feathers a little bit. Jesus was not the first Christian. Have you ever thought about that? So if we're Christians, does that mean that Jesus was the first Christian? Jesus was not the first Christian. Jesus did not come here to earth so that you and I could be called Christians. Uh-oh. Oh, man, it's time for me to head out from this church. I, I, I'm going to tell you something. The name Christian didn't even appear, okay, in Christ's teachings. The word Christian didn't even appear in his message. It didn't appear until later on after the church is already established. And if you go with me to the book of Acts chapter 11 verse 26, the church is already going on. It's been going on for a while, okay, a couple of decades, and, and the Apostle Paul is here in one of the churches, and it says this in verse 26 of Acts 11. It says, and when they found him, talking about Paul, he brought, they brought him back to Antioch. Both of them, that's talking about Barnabas and Paul, stayed there with the church for a full year. 
teaching large crowds of people. And here in parentheses, it says this, and it was at, uh, and it was at Antioch that the believers were called Christians. Where was it that they were called Christians? At Antioch. In Jerusalem, they were not called Christians. In Galatia, they were not called Christians. In Ephesus, they were not called Christians. It was in Antioch that they were called Christians, just in a little region, in a little church. And I'm going to tell you something that sounds crazy. Oh, man, I might get in a mess with what I'm going to say. It was the non-Christians that named the Christians Christians. So it's the non-Christians that expect the Christians to act in a certain way. Oh, if you're a Christian, why are you doing this? Oh, if you're a Christian, why are you doing that? Because the non-Christian has an expectation of what a Christian should look like when the Bible never labeled you or me a Christian. They labeled us disciples of Jesus. Disciples of the way, that's what it was called originally. Disciples of Christ. We were called to be disciples. I'm just going to leave it at that. So Jesus didn't come so that you would become a Christian. Jesus didn't come so that you could move from being a Buddhist to becoming a Christian. That's not the reason that Jesus came here on earth. There, there was a few purposes of Jesus coming here to earth, but for the sake of this teaching and for the sake of time, I'm just going to focus on two of them this morning. Number one, I want you to write this down. The first purpose that Jesus came here to earth was to bring us back to the Father. Jesus came to do what? To bring us back to who? To who? To the Father. To who? To the Father. Because the first thing that we lost in the garden, remember what I said at the beginning, we're looking for something that we lost. The first thing that we lost in the garden, say with me, a relationship. Can you say that with me? A relationship. The first thing that we lost in the garden was not a religion, because God never gave men a religion. The first thing that we lost in the garden was, say with me, a relationship. A relationship with who? With God the Father. So Jesus came to bring back everything that man had lost. What did man lose? A relationship with God. A relationship with God. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. So the question is, okay, is coming back to the Father. Okay, is that Christianity? Or is that a name that men just gave to what Jesus came to do and what we're doing? Very important what I'm asking you. Okay? So then the question changes. It's not is Christianity too narrow? Because we're here and what the first thing that I'm establishing is that Jesus did not come so that you and I can become a Christian. So the question is not if Christianity is too narrow. The question then becomes, is the way to the Father too narrow? Is the way to the Father then too narrow? Is the way to God then too narrow? And those are questions that we need to ask ourselves. And another question I want you to ask is narrow bad. I want you to think, and that's why I'm throwing all these things out there. It's narrow bad. Because we live in a time and age, guys, listen to this, where everything is labeled intolerant and not exclusive. 
The capital sin of our day is this one that I just mentioned. Oh, is that you're intolerant? Is that you don't understand? But the reality is, guys, that narrow is not bad. I'm going to give you two examples. One with sports, one with music. For example, all right, you know that there's a specific way to play basketball. There's a specific way to play basketball. There's a specific way that you dribble the ball. There's a specific way to shoot. There's a specific way to score. If somebody came and said, hey, that's not the right way, basketball's too narrow, you would say, hey, hold on a second. You have no idea how this game is played. You have kids, including my kid, that is sitting back there that he goes to basketball practice and he goes to a basketball school to help them learn the ways of playing basketball the right way. Is basketball too narrow? No, there's a right way of doing it. There's a right way of doing it. It's not that it's intolerant. There's a right way of doing it. Another example about music. Any guitar players in the house? The guitar players. Okay, just an example, okay, using music. If I told them I want you to play on G, how many G chords are there in a guitar? One G chord. You're either on beat or off beat. You're either on the chord or off the chord. Imagine that they're saying, oh, no, no, is that I want to play however it is because it's not inclusive. Like, no, no, there's one way of playing the G chord, and it's this way. It's not too narrow. It's the right way of doing it. You guys understand what I'm telling you? So we got to get off this mindset, you know, that the world is trying to put into us that, you know, you need to be all broad. And we're going to get into that in a second. Because listen to this. If you could take anything from this message today, it's this that I'm going to tell you right here. Okay. The truth is narrow, but God's grace is wide. Oh, truth is very narrow, but grace is wide. I just want that to sink in for a second. Because what do we need to do as followers of Christ? What do we have to do as his disciples? We need to hold on to the narrowness of truth and the width of grace. That's what we need to do. Hold on to the narrowness of truth. But hold on to the width of grace. John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. It says, And the Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. How did Jesus come here? Full of grace and truth. I want to tell you guys something. This is the art that us, okay, children of God, we need to learn. We need to learn something that Jesus did so well. Jesus is the perfect tension between truth and grace. And between grace and truth. He's the perfect tension. And we need to learn that. We need to learn how to walk in that way and it's Jesus who said, John 14, 6. I'm sure most of you guys have heard the scripture. I quote it almost every weekend when I'm giving the invitation at the end. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. What did Jesus say? No one comes to Christianity. No one becomes a Christian or no one comes to who? To the Father. Because what is it that man lost in the beginning? A relationship with who? With God the Father. And Jesus is saying no one comes to the Father except through me. And you might think, well, Jesus, that's very narrow. You're the only way to the Father. Jesus, that's very exclusive. You're not being tolerant, Jesus. And the reality is that the truth is narrow. But look at this verse. Look at this verse. 1 Timothy 4.10. I'm going to show you the width of grace. Beautiful verse. This is one of those verses that changed my life over 10 years ago. This is a verse that gave me a lot of peace about a lot of things that I, that I didn't understand. 1 Timothy 4.10, it says, That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God. What have we done? We put our hope in the living God. Pay attention to this part of the verse. Who is the Savior of who? He's the Savior of who? Jesus died for all. I'm going to say it again. He's the Savior of who? Of all people and especially of those who believe. Oh man, that's a deep verse. Jesus is the Savior of all people. A child that has Down syndrome and he can't make a decision for Jesus, he's the Savior of that child. Somebody that has autism, somebody that has mental problems, Jesus is the savior of that person. He paid for the sin of that person. It helped me reconcile thoughts that I had in, in, in my head. Jesus is the savior of all people. He paid for the sins of the whole world. That's how wide grace is. Does that sound exclusive? Or inclusive to you? What does that sound like? Inclusive. Does that sound discriminating to you? Or inviting? Well, it's very inviting. There's a door that has been sprung wide open for all to come. And whatever man comes after me, he will not be rejected. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus came to bring us back to the Father. He's the only way, but he made it available to all. Isn't that beautiful? What a tension between truth and grace. He's the only way, but it's available to all. And the second thing, I want you to write this down. What's the second thing that we lost? What's the second thing that we're searching for? First thing I've been saying, we're not looking for religion. We're looking for a relationship that was lost. The second thing that we lost right there in that garden was a kingdom. Say with me, kingdom. Kingdom. Jesus came to restore the kingdom of God back to man. Listen to what I'm going to say. Man did not lose a religion because God never gave man a religion. So you can't lose something that you never had. What God gave man was a relationship. And what God gave man was a kingdom. 
God gave man dominion over the earth. Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, you know, Satan is trying to get all smart with Jesus, and Jesus is fasting, and he's praying for 40 days in the desert, and the Bible says that, that all of a sudden, the devil appears, and he starts to tempt Jesus, and, and in one of those temptations, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. What did the devil show Jesus? All the what? Kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor because it has been given to me. And I could give it to anyone I want to. He tells Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world because it's been given to me. The question is, by whom? By Adam. Adam. When men sinned, what he gave to Satan was the kingdoms of the world, the authority, the dominion that God had given to man to establish his kingdom and his rule on earth. He turned that over to the enemy. How do you know that, Pastor? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. What does it say? Let them rule. What does that mean? Let them have dominion. The original word there for rule is a word in Hebrew, rada, that means let them have a kingdom. Let them have dominion. Let them have rulership. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That includes roaches, and I speak that verse to me loudly. Lord, and you gave me dominion over that. I'm still working, guys. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> So what are we all looking for? We're looking for a relationship that Jesus is the way. And we're looking for a lost kingdom. You see, man always has this Superman idea that a savior from another world is going to come and help us. Man has this whole idea of Atlantis, lost paradise, where everything was perfect, the perfect civilization, you know, where all these things. Where do you think that comes from? That's something that is deep-rooted in our spirit right here because we knew we were in a place where everything was right. It's in our spiritual DNA. That's why you were not made for pain. That's why you were not made for suffering. That's why none of these things go well with us. And that's what Jesus came to bring back. Our relationship with God the Father, and our position of reigning here on earth and establishing the kingdom. So is Christianity too narrow? Well, Jesus didn't really come to start Christianity. Jesus came to bring us back to the Father. Is that a narrow way? Oh, yeah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way that you can have a relationship with God. Whoever has a son has a father. And I want to finish with this verse this morning, Matthew 7. This is a verse I was talking with my daughter with the other day. She brought it up to me at home. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. 
And look what Jesus says. You can enter God's kingdom only through the what? Can you say it loud? Only through? Only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And his gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. Who is that gateway? It's Jesus. It's a person. It's not a religion. It's a person. It's a person. Both the way to the Father and to the kingdom are narrow according to God's word because it's a person. But here it is. The invitation is for everyone. The invitation is for everyone. I want you to close your eyes this morning. I love this concept and this thought that Christ died for everyone. Those that will accept him, those that will reject him, he paid for everyone. And the beautiful thing about this, as you ponder this in your heart, there were your eyes closed. Because I want you to think about how's your relationship with God this morning? Are you sure you have a relationship with God? Are you sure that you're traveling down the right way which is Jesus. And if you've already made that decision, the next question that I have for you is, are you living and walking the kingdom of God here on earth? Or are you still searching for something else? Because the search needs to stop when you come to Jesus. The search needs to stop. It stops there. So Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning. Because you came to bring, Jesus, everything that we lost back there in the garden when our original parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. And this is not a fable. This is not a story. This is the reality, Lord, that there's a spiritual world that parallels this physical world that we see. And we're trying to find answers to the things, Father God, that we go through in this life. And a lot of times we go to religion to try to find the answer. But religion is just a search. And Jesus, you did not come to put me in a search. You came to give me answers because you are the truth. So today, Jesus, I pray that you would reign in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. I want to thank you for what you're doing. 